Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. All right. Hey, uh, this is uh, Jose Galison on No Way Jose on the Liberty Movement YouTube channel. Today, my guest is Jimmy Morrison of the documentary uh, The Housing Bubble. Uh, real quick before we get into it, I want to address, I meant to... I wanted to, I was wanting to do this Facebook Live as kind of like an incentive for being part of the group, the Liberty Movement group, and but um, yeah, I, I guess I was zucked. I was one of those guys that got hit up with that whole uh, uh, complex entities thing a while ago, and I guess along with all that, it was a ninety day uh, no live thing. So I can't do Facebook Live. Um, I can do YouTube Live. So if you're watching this and that's actually something that interests you, let me know. I just I don't know. I know personally myself, I don't really care for the whole YouTube Live function. That's just me. So if you want to comment in the video and let me know how you feel, if that would actually you'd like that or not, I mean we can do it. I don't care. I can do I can do YouTube live. Uh, but yeah, with that I got Jimmy Morrison. Um, yeah, uh, tell me. Let's do. Could you do a quick introduction of yourself to the uh, to the peeps? Yeah. 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 Thanks. Um, well, basically, uh, I was working for Gary Johnson about a decade ago when he first ran for president uh, as a Republican, and uh, he actually encouraged me to pursue this project, what would become the Housing Bubble documentary. Um, but the idea was to go out there and interview people that predicted the housing crash and ask them why it happened and what's next. And it uh, started as kind of a small independent project and uh, grew into a much bigger project uh, that you know has taken me all these years. Um, but we have the first film out, The Housing Bubble, and then we're going to have a second film uh, come out because we just split it into into two films. Um, so the second film starts with the bailouts in 2008 and brings it up to, uh, you know, right before the lockdown start, end of 2019. Um, and then the first film really covers 1913 all the way up to 2008. Um, so we're really doing an expansive uh, economic history um, of bubbles and just trying to explore, you know, why this housing crash happened. And then, uh, you know, we're going to be looking at why these lockdowns happened and, and the effect that just uh, paying everybody to uh, sit at home and just hoping printing money is going to work out. Um, you know, I, we'll see how that works out. But um, they're definitely giving us a lot of content that we have to work with. Yeah, that was going to be a future a question I was going to have is if you were going to cover this, but there you go. I mean, it seemed like a no-brainer because, uh, I mean, we'll get into it. I kind of want to uh, have you give your own definition of the boom-bust cycle here in a minute So, because I think a lot of people don't understand this is like an ongoing thing. But, yeah, I, I did like uh, when I watched uh, the documentary, it was like a very expansive, like it kind of covered all the way back to the, the Great Depression. And, uh, yeah, with that, like, uh, with that, I guess we'll go ahead and go into it because I don't want to – I kind of want to start with definitions for people who may not be as economically minded – uh, would you be able to give your own definition of the boom-bust cycle, which is essentially a more technical version of the bubble that, you, that is what people kind of colloquially use is the bubble. But right. I think the boom-bust cycle, in my opinion, encapsulates it better because it really yeah. shows that it's a cycle. You know, but yeah. sorry, I don't, I don't mean to take over for you. I'll let you do it. <laughs> no, no, no. You're yeah. right. You're absolutely right. 
Um, so the film really is meant to uh, be accessible to the general public. We wanted it to be something where you didn't need any economics background. You don't need to know any terms. Uh, you can go in and really learn a lot about these ideas. Um, and, you know, like I said, we're focused on the housing bubble in the first film. And so what we do is the first half of the first film uh, looks at the causes of the housing bubble. And uh, what we determined from that is, yes, there was Fannie and Freddie and the Community Reinvestment Act, all these other things. But the root cause was the Federal Reserve and uh, them creating this boom bust cycle that you're talking about. And so then we go back and we look at the Great Depression and we look at some of these other uh, busts and booms and see uh, if there's any correlations that we can see um, and if it holds up with uh, the Austrian theory of the business cycle, uh, which is really what we're presenting in this in these films. Um, so, yeah, the boom bust cycle is basically the idea that when they create all this money, um, they do it by uh, basically just. Uh, the banks have checking accounts with the Fed and they just increase the number of reserves they have at the banks. So when they want to bail out a bank, they just say, uh, we're going to create the money we need. We're just going to put it in your account. Um, and then uh, the idea is that the banks will go and lend that out. Um, in this last crash, for the first time, they actually paid banks not to lend it out. So they were actually bailing them out by creating money and injecting it into the banks and then also paying them not to lend it. So while pointing at their balance sheets and bragging about how they were solvent because they had all this money. Yeah, it's a pretty absurd process. Um, but what, what this does, uh, it doesn't just benefit the bankers by doing this. What it does is it tricks entrepreneurs, uh, people that are uh, running businesses or going into different industries like me, for example, I went into house painting. A lot of people went into uh, you know building houses or developing houses. Um, and uh, it, it tricks those people into thinking there's more savings and uh, more resources than we're actually saved for later. Everybody's going out and spending now, uh, but because we also have the print and money, they're able to think, okay, but we also have all these resources saved up for the future. Um, so when they create money and give it to the banks, it lowers interest rates because they have more money to lend out. Um, and so when uh, they... Uh, you know, since it's lowering those interest rates, that's telling the entrepreneurs and the people that go out and spend money that, hey, uh, you know, it's a cheap time to, to go out and just spend money and, um, you know, get a 30-year uh, mortgage with a huge house and don't worry about it because we're just going to keep printing money and house prices are going to go up. Um, but what we find is that's unsustainable. It's not based on anything of real value. Um, and it has to unwind eventually. And so that's really something we've seen happen uh, time and time again. Um, and it's something that I kind of wondered all these years while I was making this project, like, how are they, is the government going to, you know, get out of this next crash? Like, how are they going to explain this away? And the coronavirus just gave them this perfect opportunity where they could capitalize on a virus and just say, oh, it's just because we had to lock down. Um, but what we actually saw was they were they started bailing out the banks uh, way before uh, the coronavirus. It wasn't just um, that the economy was crashing because of the coronavirus. We actually saw that uh, they weren't able to keep their promise of uh, just creating all this money, bailing out of the banks, and then having it work out. Um, you know, it it helped uh, Wall Street and it helped the stock market, um, but it didn't necessarily help Main Street and the rest of the U.S. Yeah, I know that I noticed like I actually was like right before the whole coup thing. I was telling all my buddies that were in stocks and stuff like, hey, you're going you're gonna to want to bail. 
Because, like, for one, I knew, you know, generally speaking, the boom bust cycle is roughly every eight to 12 years ish, mm-hmm. you know, and we were super overdue. And I also had been noticing they've been dumping all sorts of liquidity into the stock market. And it was like, and I, my thinking was it was just to try to tie them over until the election and, and kind of as like a, you know, because it's kind of like what this whole boom bust cycle thing is. It's kind of like a dangerous game of hot potato is what it is mm-hmm. for politicians. It's just them trying to pass it on to the next one, which right. I, I, which ironically is actually a great argument for Hoppe's, you know, theory of like monarchy. Because it's kind of yeah. like when you have politicians who switch out every so often, they're just trying to make it to the next election. So they're just yeah. kind of hoping that the football doesn't explode in their face or the potato doesn't explode on them, you know? Right. A lot <laughs> of people, a lot oh, of people point to term, term limits as this magical reform that's going to save uh, the system. And I, I just don't really understand that because, you know, they already have a short-term outlook and uh, I, I just don't see how that'll solve any of the problems. Yeah, what's I mean, God, I feel like an idiot. What's the term uh, Rothbard always uses? Uh, time preference. And mm-hmm. so it's like you're just lowering their time preference even more. It's like, yeah, that'll totally help. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But, yeah, well, that's kind of one of the things we show throughout the movie is that even if you do all this with good intentions, you're not actually helping people. And you know, giving people a bunch of debt that they can't afford to pay back. Uh, you know, it might look good uh, when they announce it in the papers, but when it happens later on, uh, you know, and they're defaulting and, um, you know, these economic crashes come with a lot of negative consequences. And it's not just, um, you know, financial, it's not just dollars and cents, you know, people, there's a lot of psychological things that happen and a lot of uh, people are hurt by these policies. And, you know, we're not uh, trying to say that we have all the answers and we're going to be able to just predict how this will all play out. Um, we're just trying to point out these obvious distortions that are happening from all the money they're creating um, and trying to help people realize why things have been un- so unsustainable and why we keep just getting bigger bubbles after bigger bubbles. Um, and, you know, we had a trillion dollar deficit to deal with the last one uh, with Obama. And here we are, you know, just four trillion dollars. They're just creating money, buying uh, uh, the Bank of Japan has just been buying ETFs and it looks like that's where the U.S. is headed. Um, you know, it's really a scary time when uh, the Federal Reserve, they literally had like an announcement saying, hey, by the way, we started buying um, all this stuff, all these bonds and stuff from uh, this list of 100 companies. And here's a list of a few other 100 companies that we're going to buy more soon. So it's like the entire uh, system is completely rigged at this point because it's just completely controlled by who gets the printed money and who knows that information you know if you had that list ahead of time you know you could buy those stocks to know that uh, those people were getting those bailouts but um it's just an absurd system that nobody can uh uh really predict anything in uh not that you can predict anything in a normal market but it just makes everything so much harder when you can't tell what uh the actual interest rate is or uh you know what prices actually would be in a free market yeah no uh, it's funny that is like one of the most common uh criticisms i think of austrian economics is that it's that they take i feel like every other field tries to turn economics into this objective thing whereas it's very clearly you know as misa said it's it all it is is human action and so it's 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 mm-hmm. inherently subjective and so a lot of people be like oh look at you doomsayers you're saying it's going to happen or this is going to happen well why can't you tell me you know x y and z and it's like well i mean i could just give you you know rough trends and based on like rough economic principles but i can't predict the future and it's right. you know i don't know uh one thing i did want to touch on that i really liked about this thing is that it didn't 
go political, which I mean, obviously you're libertarian minded, you know, so I guess it kind of makes sense, but it is kind of funny because I feel like a lot of people, whenever it comes to the debt or anything money wise, they, they just want to go to whoever, you know, they just want to blame the other team, you know, whoever there isn't their team. And it's, and it is just this thing of like, it's not one or the other. This is just this continual thing that gets passed down. And really, honestly, I mean, you can say maybe one is worse than the other, but I mean, I don't really, I don't even really know which team's worse, to be honest with you. They kind of both are just as bad. And it's like, it's, it's always just the next falling person is worse and worse and worse. And, you know, yeah, my point being, I just liked how it was, it was non-political. That's kind of, kind of what we're about over here is being, uh, the Liberty Movement is being non-political. So, or being politically neutral in a sense, like we try to stay away from that whole bit because we find it to be divisive. But yeah, because people just end up arguing over whose team's worse. And it's like, you both suck. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that kind of comes, I, I think that's the beauty of economics is you don't have to get into the politics. And like, mm. we don't even use the word Republican Democrat uh, in, throughout the movie. There's only one time uh, it's said, and it's Obama. Uh, explaining uh, the structural problems with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and basically admitting that, you know, Republicans and Democrats both supported that system. And this is something Austrian economists have been pointing out, like that the, these were problems. Um, so one of the things I really like about the film is that uh, it, it, it presents uh, Austrian economics, but it also tries to present uh, Keynesian economics. And we don't try to just set up straw men where we're just saying, you know, this is what these people think over there. And, you know, isn't that silly? Like we actually use their top uh, people to make their uh, claims. And then we have our people uh, look at those issues. And so I think uh, even if you're not uh, a believer in Austrian economics, you can watch the film and come away with it with a much broader understanding of how the economy works. And uh, like you said earlier, you know, most people view economics as charts and uh, math and stuff like that. And it, it's really not that. It's about people uh, making decisions. And uh, what we see throughout the film is that printing a bunch of money just tricks everybody into thinking that they're wealthier than they actually are. Um, and it just it doesn't work out, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the scary thing, too, is there's so much liquidity trapped in the in the, in the uh, stock market right now, too. Like, if anything, that's the only thing keeping this from all crashing down. It's just yeah. it's like as soon as people uh, people lose faith in the market, it's, <laughs> there's so much liquidity trapped there that's just not circulating wealth in the market at the moment. So because it's right. like we printed so much during all this goof stuff. <laughs> And, and there's a lot overseas because the U.S. has been a world reserve currency. It's, you know, it's considered this safe haven where in times of crisis, all this money is coming in uh, to the U.S. dollar, uh, kind of bailing it out. And uh, we've seen over the last couple of decades that the percent of reserves held by other central banks uh, of dollars is going down. And, it, you know, I, I don't know, remember exact numbers offhand, but it used to be like 70 some percent. Um, and now I believe it's around 60 percent. Um, so it's, it's something where as that money comes back to the U S and we're kind of in a situation where, especially with all these lockdowns, we're going to have all these supply chain issues and, and they're injecting all this money into the banks and all these businesses. And, you know, they're going to do more stimulus, I'm sure. Um, and they're just going to do everything they can to get spending up. Um, and that's actually something that's kind of interesting in July, spending was up 10% over the previous year. You would think in a pandemic when, uh, all this is happening, people would be uh, in a situation where they can't do that. But it was just all those stimulus checks. Everybody just went out and, you know, they went to the lumber yard and uh, bought up all the lumber and drove up the price of lumber. And, um, you know, we have all these 
unseen uh, consequences and all this uh, stuff that's going to play out in the supply chain. And uh, we just have no idea uh, what kind of damages we're going to see down the road from all this. So uh, I think higher prices, especially food prices, uh, are going to be a very big concern going forward. Yeah, really, I've already started noticing it. I don't know if you have. I mean, really, mm -hmm. from the beginning of all this coup stuff to now, I mean, I know just, I mean, only slightly. But I mean, like I said, there's so much liquidity trapped in other places. So I'm like, it's kind of right. scary that it's already like we've seen it. Because it's mm -hmm. like, I mean, the way this game works is they 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 dump their money into different places in the banks, the stocks, stuff like that. Spots that they know are going to probably hold the liquidity a little bit better. You know, it's also going to hook up their fat cat friends, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't really circulate in the market as well. But with all things, eventually evens out. So, but yeah, my point being is I have noticed like, you know, especially like say like fast food, like the dollar menu is not really even a thing anymore. You yeah. know, I mean, that hadn't, that hadn't been a thing for a while, but I mean, it's gotten even... I don't know. I, I know I've noticed prices go up. Not a lot, but a little bit. And like I said, there's still there's still a lot trapped in the market that eventually will come out. So because yeah. I mean, it's just a matter of how long. So because because people like you, us libertarians, we we warn everybody that hey, like this thing's gonna this thing's gonna blow. You know, hyperinflation, all this stuff. And but then when it doesn't happen, you know, it kind of makes us look stupid. But a lot of times people don't realize it's like yeah, a lot of the liquidity is trapped in other spots. So, right. Well, yeah. yeah. And like I mentioned before, a lot of it's gone overseas mm -hmm. and, you know, they were paying the banks not to lend out that money. So they can look at that and say, you know, hey, look, prices didn't go up, but they still distorted the economy to bail out the banks and, you know, mm -hmm. propped up these uh, giant institutions. And, uh, you know, they they act like uh, these things don't have consequences, but you know we've already had a, a decent amount of uh, this conversation, and we're just now bringing up price inflation because mm -hmm. there's all these other distortions, and you know all these people and all these entrepreneurs were making poor decisions uh, because of those distortions, and so that's something I think we do a good job of in the film is you know it's not some uh, movie just uh, preaching about price inflation. We we really. Uh, focus on the how creating money distorts the economy and has all these problems and not just the price inflation. And the funny thing is if we would just stop, like really all that the boom bust cycle is, is us constantly dicking with the, with the money supply. And all it is, is the money supply or just the economy in general, trying to find equilibrium. Like it's trying to get to where it's supposed to be, but we keep altering it. And for every, it's just, just with drugs and alcohol, any, every, every up there's a down. You know, and usually like it's like for you know you dip up and down kind of deal. I'm like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> My hand out of the, but yeah, I mean, it, it's like usually when you're coming down, you kind of come even further down under. You know, it's kind of this like balancing, trying to find equilibrium. Ah, fuck. Oops. Trying to balance. Knock Knocked out my 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 ear thing. My bad. <laughs> but but yeah, my point being is it's just it's it's kind of the whole the pendulum swinging back and forth, and right. you know we freak out whenever we have these dips, and it's like you know it's like what was it? I don't know. You probably know there was a uh, the one recession we had in what was it 1918? Is that when it was the the one recession that we had that was like no one oh, really the, gave a shit yeah, about. So the, we in the film we talk about the Panic of 1920, and we try oh, 20, kind of yeah. use it as a, a way of comparing it to the Great Depression because yeah. they had a very different response. Um, and so as opposed to the Great Depression where both Hoover and FDR uh, bailed out a lot of industries, tried to prop up prices and wages um, and you know bail out the banks, that sort of thing. Um, uh, instead of that, they actually had a situation where they cut federal spending completely in half and they allowed interest rates to go up a little bit um, and, you know, this is something you know, that are deficit, they went from having a deficit to actually paying down their debt. 
And this is something that uh, Keynesians would point to as like, this would just send you into the worst depression ever. And, you know, it's all this uh, doomsaying. And the actual reality is it was over in a year and a half. We had the roaring 20s. Um, it allowed us to actually start over on a sustainable uh, base, you know, to have that foundation that's actually based on something instead of just printed money. And that's the really uh, sad thing about the pandemic is we came in to this already running over a trillion dollar deficit and people point to the tax cuts. So it was like a couple hundred billion. So like even without the tax cuts, uh, we were still at like a trillion dollar deficit. And so we were just already after 10 years or 20 years of all this uh, money creation and bailing out banks, um, we, we just really have wiped out our economy uh, instead of starting over, facing reality, having to have that crash, uh, but being able to move on and start building forward to something sustainable. And I think we would have been in a much better position uh, for this pandemic if we had taken on the debt and taken on uh, these uh, banking issues um, when we had these crashes uh, over the last couple of decades. Yeah, I mean, sort of. I mean, I, I kind of agree. I think most politicians see that we're at this point where it's just, you know, you're we're beyond beyond help. So it's like they're almost right. just kicking the like we said before, it's kicking the can down the road. So which is the constant dilemma of the debt. It's just this this thing we all know is going to explode one day, but we're all just pre going to pretend it's not there. You know, right? <laughs> but, right. But yeah. Uh, so let's, uh, I want to kind of touch in, uh, how was the filmmaking process of this? Because I, I, one thing I did want to bring up is it seems to be a little less interview heavy than some other documentaries that I've seen. That's not a, that's not a ding. I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, so I don't know how that affects, affected it. Because I know, for example, like uh, Monopoly on Violence, like, isn't, I don't know if you've seen that. That That's mm -hmm. a one Absolutely. that's like, it's a great movie. Oh, I love it. Yeah. But it's, it's, it, that one's very uh, interview heavy. Whereas this mm -hmm. one was a little bit different, which I actually think it, it makes sense for both films for that yeah. film. It makes more sense to be more interview heavy. And I think it makes more sense for yours because you right. guys are tackling a, uh, you're trying to make economics appeal to normies and then you're yeah. trying to make the boom bus cycle appear to normies even, which is even another fucking thing. that's like, Holy shit. <laughs> Good luck. Right. But uh, right. yeah. So it's like, it makes sense. It's not as interview heavy with economists. Cause I mean, while I do love all those economists, I mean, my normie buddies will, will probably fucking fall asleep, you know, <laughs> You know, so well, having them in little bits is probably better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of interesting. Like if you actually go back and watch it or listen, um, a lot of the uh, dialogue that you hear is from interviews. It's just that we're not showing them. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, we use narration sparingly throughout. Uh, Naomi Rockwell uh, did that for us and she did a great job. Um, but I really wanted this to be something where I went and tracked down these people who predicted this and I wanted to tell their story. So they're looking, you know, straight into the camera. They're looking at you when you do see them. Um, but the reason we don't show them is just because, uh, we want this to be something that's like you said, anybody can sit down and watch it. And if they can be laughing and seeing cartoons or pop culture clips, uh, you know, Seinfeld, South Park, The Daily Show, that kind of thing, it just uh, it completely changes their mindset. And like we were saying about politics earlier, like we uh, definitely get into these states where we're just completely tuning out uh, any points that other people are trying to make. And I think if you can get people laughing and uh, seeing cartoons and uh, kind of present things in a common sense way, um, you can reach a lot more people. Uh, and I, one thing I'll point out uh, differences between the two films. Uh, the first film, I think um, 
people on the right are a lot more uh, open to it um, just because it's kind of um, presented in this free market uh, sense. You know, it's uh, pointing to how you can't distort prices and can't just create money. Um, but I think the second movie, because we start with the bank bailouts in 2008, uh, we're going to be able to reach a lot of people on the left because when they start hearing about the Fed partway through the movie, they're already kind of on our side of being like, oh, you know, I don't like Wall Street. I don't like how they're, you know, gaming the system. Um, but then we'll show them how they're actually doing that. And that's something that we kind of saw with Occupy Wall Street was they went after Wall Street. Um, and, you know, we had tea par the Tea Party back then. Um, but we really kind of set out to kind of bridge the gap between uh, people in all these different groups to kind of show that, look, uh, the Federal Reserve is really the root cause of all these things. And if we can, uh, you know, strike at that root, uh, that's our best chance of uh, getting rid of all this uh, cronyism. Yeah. Um, another thing I want to bring up is I've always been curious, what role did Tom Woods have in this? Because I know he's he's a he's big build on that. And he's uh he's he's had a lot, lot a large part in uh, getting around. Did he kind of have more of the role of what like maybe Pete had in uh, Monopoly and Violence, where he was kind of like the uh you know the the big name that kind of helped you get get people and stuff like that? Was that kind of yes, the role he, he played? He was, he was the overseer, but okay. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, he actually co-wrote the film with me, which oh. was just a complete honor for me. Um, but what had happened was, uh, you know, I had this idea. Um, I dropped out of college. I'd studied economics. Um, but I dropped out of college to pursue film and uh, had gone on to uh, do music videos and concert DVDs. Um, but uh, And I'd shot a feature film that I didn't actually finish. Um, but I, I had the idea for this project and I just, I knew I didn't have the credibility, um, but I wanted to uh, team up with somebody uh, that had the expertise. And so I actually went after Thomas Sowell first. Um, but he turned me down. Um, yeah. So I was lucky enough to get Tom Woods, who was just uh, the perfect fit and really took the project to uh, a level that Thomas Sowell would not have been able to. Uh, in his book, The Housing Boom and Bust, uh, he really doesn't get into the Fed and the role the Fed uh, had. So um, it, it ended up being, I, so I guess that uh, is kind of me admitting, like I really didn't understand Austrian economics when I started this project. Um, so it's something I kind of discovered as I went through the process. Um, but when I saw Tom Wood's lectures on YouTube and started reading his work, uh, everything kind of clicked together. And so he was the perfect person uh, to help co-write it. And, uh, you know, there's no way I could have written or made these without uh, his expertise and his, uh, not just his knowledge, but his ability to reach uh, anybody. You know, he can take these complex ideas and break them down and present them in a simple way. And that's that's something that, uh, you know, we really, that it took us years to get this movie done, like years longer than it, uh, everybody thought it would, including myself. Um, but uh, I'm really happy with how it turned out because every word counts and every sentence uh, builds towards something. And, um, you know, it, they're all pieces coming together. Um, and it's something where people can learn these core concepts in the first movie. And if they don't see the first movie, uh, they can learn them in the second movie. And you can watch them in e either order. So it's uh, it's something where I think we have the potential to reach a lot of people. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah, that's really awesome. You got Tom to help out. I mean, I kind of laugh because Thomas Sowell, he's known for being like elusive and not being mm -hmm. able to get for anything. So I was like, well, I, I kind of hounded you're chasing him. Like, a ghost. <laughs> I, I emailed him a bunch of times and then I started calling his office a bunch of times. And <laughs> finally he emailed me and was like, hey, man, like, leave me alone. <laughs> that sounds like a nice project, but 
Yeah. I'm calling me. <laughs> yeah, it probably is better you got Tom Woods because, yeah, this doesn't seem to be – while Thomas Sowell is one of the greats, that's not really entirely up his alley. It is kind of perfect for Tom. Yeah. It's really cool. that It seems like Tom does – I'm assuming you're probably one of his uh, one of his listeners group or something beforehand, or, or no, no. So this was before he had the Tom Woods show. Oh, okay. This was uh, oh, <laughs> it was like November 2010 when mm-hmm. uh, I pitched the project to him, and basically I emailed him and I told him I had this idea for this documentary, and um, Gene Epstein, who was in the film, had told him that uh, he needed to turn his book Meltdown into a documentary. And so when I basically came to him and said I wanted to turn Meltdown into a documentary, uh, he jumped on the idea. And um, uh, it, it's it's something where he opened a lot of doors, uh, obviously. But really, the whole structure of uh, both movies comes from uh, his books and, uh, you know, uh, all it, it, it's just throughout the film, anybody that listens to the Tom Woods show is going to see a lot of his humor and a lot of his style uh, thrown in there. So I, I think any Tom Woods fan will love the movie. Yeah, the point I was getting at, though, is Tom seems to be really good about helping out his listeners and stuff. Like, he's mm-hmm. he's always promoting some other thing of, you know, his people, you know. And I don't know, he's got his pots and so many, his hands in so many pots. So it's just really kind of impressive. <laughs> but, yeah. You know. Yeah, uh, and you said you're going to be uh, you this uh, this next part is going to be kind of covering. You said it's going to go up to 2019. So is it going to go up to like the pre-COV type stuff, like right right up yeah, to basic, it? Yeah, basically it's going to go right up to COVID, and then uh, you know who knows what'll happen. But uh, in all likelihood, there probably will be a third movie that uh, looks at the economic consequences of the lockdown and uh, the Great Reset, as they like to call it. Um, because, you know, we're really in a situation where, uh, they're just planning on restructuring the economy and doing this technocratic, uh, you know, top down. Great reset. Uh, yeah. Great reset. And so <laughs> it's, uh, it's a scary time. Um, and it's definitely something that needs to be documented and needs to be, uh, exposed so people can prepare themselves. And, you know, we don't tell people if they should buy gold or silver or Bitcoin or what they should be doing. Um, but we definitely show them why they may want to, um, diversify away from the dollar or U S stocks. And, uh, you know, people look at U S stocks, like it's the only stock market in the world. Like there's lots of other places you can invest. And, uh, I, everybody knows, uh, stocks have been at an all time high. They propped them right back up this year. And so, uh, or do you really want to hold on when it's at an all-time high after a decade, or do you want to put your money somewhere else and try to protect yourself a little bit? Yeah, it's funny. I uh, I never really got into stocks, and I've been telling my wife for years because I mean, I have a, I mean, I'm not, I'm no like, I'm not like some economic great. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just kind of a little more savvy than most. But I, I've kind of like through the help of like Ron Paul and other like you know people that I listen to, I've kind of sort of predicted or like you know, all the big like stock stuff. And I've kind of always been like, I could totally make money off this. And, but my wife is always like, no, to her, there was like gambling. And I was yeah. just like, I'm telling you, I can make money. I can make money. Like yeah. I know how this stuff works. Like, and just but, for years and years. And then now when this coup thing finally happens, like, cause everything I basically said that to her, like she's a little bit more of a normie happened. Mm-hmm. She's like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. We should start like getting the stocks. I'm like, not now. <laughs> like <laughs> all the rules are out the window. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> They're gone. Right. Yeah. I said, I wouldn't tell people what to do, but yeah, yeah. it definitely was a good uh, year to get into gold and silver. And it's mm-hmm. kind of corrected back a little bit uh, at the end of the year here. So, um, 
you know, not to tell people what to do, but good time to stock up a little bit. And it, it silver, I think is a great way to save because, um, it's not at an all time high gold was, uh, basically at an all time high. Uh, although with everything that's been going on, uh, the all time high doesn't mean much. Um, but, uh, silver isn't anywhere near, uh, it's all time high and it's something that's cheaper where you can get for 20, 25 bucks. Um, and so, you know, every week or every month you could try to put a little uh, money away in silver and it's not meant to be this wild speculative investment. It's just uh, a safe haven, a way to protect yourself, uh, from the dollar and, uh, have a little bit of savings that, um, isn't just going to erode in value because, uh, they're, you know, they're planning on creating lots more money. They're not going to be able to just stop bailing out the banks. They're not going to be able to just stop be able to stop bailing out the economy and trying to do stimulus bills to keep this all going. So it's it, it's not a, a market where you're going to be able to time anything. And sh trying to short things is super dangerous, as we've seen the last few years, as this has just gone on way longer than anyone thought it possibly could. Um, so, yeah, you're right. I, I don't get into, like, day trading or anything like that, and that's 100% for my mental health. Like, I do not <laughs> want to be somebody that has to, like, look at my phone every day and think about uh, that stuff because, uh, you know, with making this movie and making the next one, the, the big picture stuff is hard enough to deal with, let alone, mm -hmm. like, the wild swings of day-to-day -day, uh, market values. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And like I said, the rules are just out the window at this point. So yeah, it's, it's hard to tell what's going to happen. It's like before there were some rules. Even then, there they were. It was anything, if anything, you were basing it off the lack of rules to some extent. But it's just completely out the window now. And you're like, I, right. it's so high that's like, it, I don't know. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's probably gonna be some markets that do well, some that won't. But it's like, it's, I don't know. Eventually, this house of cards is gonna come crumbling down. And uh, I don't really feel like we actually really crumbled. <laughs> like, yeah, like we did a little bit, like sorta, but I, I don't know. It well, seemed like I, I oh, think right. unfortunately people forget, you know, how bad the crash was back in 2008 and how it really mm -hmm. took till 2012 for things to start to recover. Um, you know, the market went back up uh, eventually, but uh, Main Street didn't come up for years, and it, we've really had slow growth over the last decade. Um, so I, I think, uh, unfortunately people look back and they kind of view it, uh, with the lesson that, uh, it worked and that bailing out the banks, uh, is okay. And just creating all this money. And so now what we're seeing is there, uh, everybody's coming to the trough and saying, well, if they bailed out the banks, you know, they should pay off, pay off my student loans. They should pay my rent. You know, I should be able to live here for as long as I want. Um, and uh, a lot of the things they're doing with, uh, you know, jacking up unemployment higher than actually going out to work, um, you know, uh, you know, saying people can live uh, rent free or foreclosure free um, for a year or whatever. That's uh, it sounds good on the surface of it because you want to help people, um, but it also uh, completely um, uh, entrenches everybody where they're at, uh, at a time when we need to have, uh, uh, people responding to market demand and people going out and starting businesses. And, you know, maybe instead of telling everybody to go home and not working, maybe we should have been telling them to hit, Hey, figure out how to be a nurse. You know, maybe we should open more hospitals and not uh, allow hospitals to veto, uh, whether somebody builds another hospital in the same city, like it's really kind of a silly system when you have to get permission from the hospital in town to open a competing hospital. Um, so it's a time when we need to have people uh, reacting uh, to unprecedented 
things with innovative solutions so that uh, you know we have all these uh, options to choose from instead of saying, hey, you know what, just uh, go inside for a year and when we come out of this, hopefully uh, your waitress job will still be sustainable. And it's just, uh, it's not, you know, as you know, it's not, it's not going to work out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's a small part of me that's kind of like, you know what, go ahead, bail out, bail out all the people's student loans. Go ahead, do unemployment. Cause it's like, I mean, it's not that I've never necessarily been a collapsitarian, but it's kind of like, I mean, at this point it's, it's almost like in my head, it's like probably going to happen anyway. So I might as well mm-hmm. just get it over with. I have kids, yeah, so I, it's like I'd I, rather get it over with now. <laughs> honestly, when I started making the movies, like I kind of looked at student loans and where it was heading, and I kind of figured that regardless of whether uh, there was a Republican or a Democrat in office, we were going to get student loan forgiveness. Um, you know, when the next crash happened, because you know they bailed out Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and then now they're bailing out Sally Mae. It's you know, it's just the same thing over and over again with different different letters <laughs> yeah i mean like i said it's only a matter of time it's like i don't know how long can they play this game but I, I, yeah but i don't know with that i guess uh that's probably a good spot uh, you want to go ahead and uh, drop your plugs definitely so you guys can get the movie at thebubblefilms.com it's called the housing bubble uh if you guys don't mind after you watch it uh rate it on imdb that really helps us uh because when other people check that score then they're more likely to uh watch the movie um, but we have lots of different educational programs where people can donate to copy, uh, donate copies of the film to schools and libraries and uh, all sorts of things. So check out our website, thebubblefilms.com. Um, we also have Facebook and Twitter is The Bubble Film. And I'm Jim Morrison Film on Facebook and Twitter. And my website for my production company is letusdisagree.com. Um, and people can kind of look out for our sequel, hopefully, um, mid next year um, but I don't have the best track record so don't quote me on that yeah I mean I, I'm really glad that you're doing this because I do think this is like a super important thing that needs to be done you know especially you know now with the whole coof stuff I think that's something that needs to be documented like you said it's mm-hmm. kind of like the whole idea of every kid you ask anybody off the street about the great depression and they're just going to immediately assume it was you know it, it wasn't this boom bust cycle thing that it was some other right. thing that it was a, it was a, the free market run amok, you know, essentially, yeah, right. you know, it's, it's, they don't realize like, no, it was just the government going nuts and just printing money like crazy, you know, like it was gangbusters. It was actually a direct result of the rolling roaring twenties essentially, you know? So, right. but yeah. Uh, so I think it's super important because it's like, if you don't get ahead of that narrative, it's a, uh, it's going to kind of like, it's going to become part of the, you know, national lexicon, which is kind of like the same thing with the, uh, with the depression it's probably honestly going to happen with COVID, but it's like, we got to fight it to the best we can yeah. to some extent. So I mean, this, maybe this time we could be a little bit more ahead of it, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we really tried to make the definitive documentary on the housing crisis, because if somebody wants to learn about the housing crisis, they're not going to read a book. Um, you know, some people will, but most people aren't going to read a book. They're going to go watch a documentary. So if they're watching a documentary that just uh, presents Keynesian economics as fact, um, or doesn't even get into the Fed, which most uh, documentaries don't, obviously, um, then they're just looking at the surface of it, and they're not uh, getting these different views. And uh, like I said earlier, I, I think people, even if they're uh, not uh, believers in what we're saying, I think they'll come away from the film having learned a lot, and they'll respect uh, the way we're presenting both sides. Yeah. Uh, with that, uh, like we're going to go and close it. Uh, I'll drop my plugs real quick. Uh, it's all going to be in the video description, as will Jimmy's stuff. 
we got the Facebook group, the Liberty Movement. We got a MeWe now. Uh, we're on YouTube, obviously. If you're watching this, most likely you're on YouTube. We got Library and BitChute. They're both up to date. Uh, we got uh, our email is thelibertymovementglobal at gmail.com. Uh, if you want, send us an email, just even just to email us because we're trying to compile an email list. So every email that gets sent to us, you know, we're saving because we're trying to, you know, possibly set up a newsletter or a site at some point. So, you know, we, especially with all this election shenanigans and Facebook and all the social media, it's really opened our eyes that we need to, you know, get our, get our stuff in line, you know, because uh, it's not a reliable place to be. You got to diversify to the most extent possible. Uh, we also got merch. You guys always see me sipping on this mug. Uh, it'll be in the list. Uh, that's one of my buddies on the other admins. He uh, he produces the merch. So it goes in his pocket, whatever. We're all capitalists here. You know, if you like it, get it. If you don't, don't. Uh, yeah, so like, share, subscribe, comment, do all that good stuff. Uh, it was really great having you, Jimmy. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And with that, deuces. <laughs> see you.